It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Glory to your name. Yeah. 
Page 17, page 17, and it's called I Saw the Light. I let Brother Robert get the door. And the lights, window, and all those things so that our sanctuary is secured from any invaders. The doors are open for people to come in and join us until we're ready to go into prayer. And then we lock the doors so that we don't have any unpleasant surprises in that. Got a lot of new people listening today. That's exciting and that's encouraging. Amen. Praise God. If we have any disconnections from the Internet or the phone lines, please give us a minute and then we should be reconnected as soon as possible. That does occasionally occur. And if you're listening on the Mixler, radio station online, then you don't even have to refresh the page or anything. It should activate 
by itself and restart again as soon as we reconnect. If you're on a phone line, probably the same is true as well, that you can just stay listening, just don't touch anything, whether you're on the internet or telephone, either one, just, just stay where you are and we'll reconnect as soon as possible if that does occur. Amen. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go in prayer. I do encourage everybody, everybody to stand as we give glory to the Lord, as we worship him, praise him, and as we pray to him. For he is king. He is God. And who, who sits in the presence of the king? No one. So let's rise and pray to the Almighty. Lord, Heavenly Father, praise your holy name. Thank you, Lord, for giving us another day, another week. Thank you, Father, for getting us through all of this week, through all of our trials and tribulations and sufferings, that you have preserved us and kept us. Thank you, Lord, for your continued mercy and grace upon us. Father, we are gathered here today, meaning new believers, new listeners, people that are now coming into the light, coming into your truth, coming out of deception, coming out of lies and traditional doctrines, coming out of Babylon, come to you in spirit and in truth. And as they listen, and as we listen, we pray that we would come into unity of doctrine and unity of faith to the full measure of maturity that should belong to the body of Christ, even to the full measure of the maturity that belong to Jesus Christ. This is what the scriptures tell us that we must do. We seek that. We know that also the scriptures say that you are seeking a people who will worship you in spirit and in truth. We desire to be that people. We desire to be your people. So we pray, Lord, that you would speak to our minds, speak to our hearts, help us to hear your voice and to learn your voice better, that we would not listen to the voice of strangers, but rather that we would flee from the woods in sheep's clothing, and that we would draw near into your true voice. Let us not be deceived any father. Let us accept the truth and the fullness thereof. May your spirit increase in us. May we become your body, your hands, your feet, your eyes and ears and your mouth upon this earth. May we be your bride and your body, your people and your kingdom right here, right now. May this be increased and your kingdom be ushered in into the civilization, into the world, into the jungles and into every nation and every tribe and every language on earth. Let it be. Let it become. For I know, Lord, this is your will. For this gospel of the kingdom must be preached unto, as a witness to every nation. Then shall it come. Use us, send us, Lord. We are your willing vessels, your willing instruments. Speak through us. Teach us. Let us be your disciples in this day, in this time. May your light shine forth into the darkness. 
and cast out all the lies and deceptions. And may Babylon fall, even in our lifetime, with our hands, with our mouth, with our blowing of the trumpet, may Babylon fall. In the name of Jesus Christ, so be it. Amen. Praise Jesus. Praise God. Let's turn to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 12. Now, for the new people, I will let you know that we're going to be reading from a translation called the Alpha and Omega Bible. It is a restoration, not really a translation, but a restoration of the original scriptures, but of course translated into English. But you're welcome to try to follow along in whatever translation you may have available in front of you. It is most closely related, if you want it to compare a most closely related translation to follow along with, in case you don't have a copy of Alpha Omega Bible, is a New American Standard and also the uh, Greek Orthodox Bible is very similar uh, and so forth. But we're going to start in Exodus 12, verse 15. And as we go through this sermon, I encourage you to take notes because it's very likely that you're going to hear something you never heard before in your life. And that is because I do not teach what I learned through any church, through any pastor, through any denomination. Even as the Apostle Paul said, that she did not learn these things from man, but rather from God. And that is true with what you're going to hear today and every week in these sermons. And because they may sound new and strange to you, because they are not taught by the traditional denominations and churches, I encourage you to take notes so that after the sermon, you can go back slowly and carefully in prayer and studying and researching, and if necessary, also in fasting, to examine these things as the Bereanians did, to study the scriptures daily to see if these things be so. Amen. I also encourage you to hear me, hear me out, even if you might immediately disagree, so that you can receive all of the scriptures that I have to share with you, all the points and all the principles that I will be teaching, so you can get the full picture, so that you can make an informed decision, rather than a knee-jerk reaction, rather than an immediate rejection of the truth just because it's new to you. None of us know everything. We are all growing in the truth. And that includes myself. And so today, we're going to be actually correcting a doctrine, even within our own membership, even within our own administration. We are correcting something that we did not have correct yet. Okay? And that is something we do every year. Every year. In fact, many times, sometimes two, three, four, five, six times or more per year, we will correct something that we had wrong. And that's a good thing because we were all born into this wicked, sinful world in which the Bible says in Revelation 12, verse 9, 
that Satan has deceived the entire world. Satan has deceived this entire, the entire world. Not just half of it. Not just the majority of it. But everyone and everything. Every church, every denomination. You and me, every one of us. According to the Bible, we were all deceived. We have to ask the difficult questions. Study sincerely, deeply, passionately, seeking the Lord of all of our mind, all of our heart, all of our being, with all of our strength. We must seek the Lord, what the truth really is. And part of the point of Passover and these days of unleavened bread that we're in right now is to examine ourselves. We are told in 1 Corinthians 11 to examine ourselves in preparation for the communion. We cannot take Passover communion until we have sincerely and deeply examined ourselves about what we believe and why we believe what we believe and whether we are truly in the faith. We must judge ourselves, examine ourselves deeply so the Holy Days is for that purpose as well as other purposes. And if we do that, then we would discover what we had wrong. Most people never ask themselves those difficult questions. They just blindly follow other blind people. And just follow, they've even told me this. <laughs> I've had people just say straight out to me, it's how I was raised, and that's the way I'm going to always believe because that's the way I was raised. They're not willing to study, to ask, to seek. They're not willing. They don't want the truth. The only thing they want is to blindly follow the traditions of mommy and daddy, grandma and grandpa who could have been Muslim or Hindu or, or any type of religion. But whatever my parents believed, then that's what I'm going to believe, is the mentality of actually the majority of the people on this earth. The majority of people on this earth have that mentality. But if we are examining ourselves, as the scriptures tell us, then we will change our belief. We will allow God to change our thinking, our way of thinking, what we believe and why we believe it. And we will continue that process every year until he comes. We will continue the process because I tell you, I promise you, you cannot learn and accept fully and comprehend fully all of the truth in just one year. It's impossible. Impossible. You have to press. You have to press in. You have to seek the Lord with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your strength, all of your soul. You have to press in because time is short. And you have to grow, even as a child, every year gets more and more and more mature. Ephesians tell us that we must do that. We must grow. And therefore, we must examine ourselves year after year, day after day, week, month, and year after year until we reach the full maturity.
that belongs to Christ Jesus. We are not there yet. We have to continue to grow and mature in the truth. Every one of us, myself included. So today, we're going to examine what is allowed and what is not allowed, what is forbidden during Passover and the seven days of unleavened bread. Can we eat fried eggs, fluffed up scrambled eggs, popcorn, rice, beans? What is allowed and what is forbidden during this festival fiesta of unleavened bread? Amen. And to examine that issue, we're going to first look, there's many verses we could examine, but let's focus in on some of the main primary verses that are used in the, the search and research of this topic. Exodus 12, verse 15. Exodus 12, verse 15. The Alpha Omega Bible uh, says it like this, but I'm in the process of editing and updating the Alpha and Omega Bible. So what I'm going to read to you right now is what it's going to say once I get the PDF updated. Okay, and the PDF online will always be the most updated version of the Alpha and Omega Bible. And then, uh, once we get a few more updates done, we will uh, improve and update the paperbacks as well. But this is the way it's going to read in Exodus 12, verse 15, once we get the updates done. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. And from the first day, you shall, have, you shall have utterly removed leaven from your houses. From the first day until the seventh day, whoever shall eat leaven, that so shall be utterly destroyed from Jezreel. Now, we won't go into it very deeply, but we must state here right away that most people, believe that we don't have to even look at such verses because we don't have to keep the holy days and all this was for the Jews, all this is for thousands of years ago, it's not for new covenant Christians and all that traditional Babylonian mommy and daddy childish teaching. If you read the entire Bible, even in the New Testament, decades after Jesus is crucified and rose and went back to heaven decades after Jesus' crucifixion. The apostles, Paul and Peter, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all of them were still keeping Passover and the Days of Unleavened Bread, Pentecost, Feast of Tabernacles, all of the holy days, decades after the crucifixion. So it's ridiculous, and to be honest with you, foolish, to think that these days were done away with. A very simple, very simple, very quick glance in the Bible of Zechariah 14. I won't turn there right now, but you could put it in your notes. Just a quick glance of Zechariah 14 tells you that after Jesus comes back, when he lands on the Mount of Olives and it shall cleave him too, that all nations, even Egypt, even Arab people, even Gentiles, will be required by God's law 
to come and worship him at the Feast of Tabernacles. And if they do not come to keep his holy days, they will be punished by Jesus. That is after he comes back to this earth. So it's very clear in the Bible. It's extremely, 100% clear that the holy days were never removed from God's law. Never. And it's not just for the Jews. It never was just for the Jews. Never was. But it was always for any person on this earth that would convert out of their false religion, out of what they were taught by their tribes, and convert to the God of Israel. Regardless of race or language or locality, that you could convert to worship the God of Israel. And then you was required to keep his holy days, regardless of what nationality that you was. Read the scriptures and you will find that. Amen. Now, getting back to this, it says here in AOB, seven days for you eat unleavened bread. From the first day, you shall have utterly removed the leaven from your houses. Now, where it says seven days, you should eat unleavened bread. Unleavened bread is Greek word, Strong's Concordance 106. It is also seen in Matthew 26, 17. And from the first day, you shall have utterly removed the leaven. Now, that right there is one of the most significant confusing words and, 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 and is the reason why there is a debate about this. What does it mean to remove all leaven from your houses? What kind of leaven? And it's Greek word 2219 in the Strong's Recurrence, which is a dictionary of the entire Bible. Greek 2219 actually means enzymes. Enzymes. Now, yeast is an enzyme or has enzymes in it. It's an enzyme for the purpose of rising bread grains. That is what it is. Now let's go over to chapter 13, verse 7. Chapter 13, verse 7. This is the way it's going to read when we get the next update it, upload it soon, hopefully within the next two or three days. Exodus 13, verse 7, is going to read like this. Seven days shall you eat unleavened bread. Greek 106. Nothing leavened. Greek 2220.1. Nothing leavened. Greek 2220.1 shall be seen with you. Neither shall you leaven, have leaven in all your boundaries. Neither shall you have leaven, Greek 2219. Neither shall you have leaven 2219 in all your boundaries, parentheses, property lines. Your boundaries is your property line. and all of your property, you should not have leaven. You should not have leaven is Greek 2219, enzyme, for the purpose of rising bread. Now, what kind of leavening agents did they have at that time that the Israelites would have used? The Asian Israelites couldn't just go to Walmart, Dollar General. They couldn't go to the stores we have today and buy glass jars or 
little paper packets full of yeast. They couldn't do that like that, like we have in modern society. So, so what kind of yeast, what kind of enzymes, what kind of leavening would they have actually used? And the answer to that question is they would have used a leavening starter, which is sardo, sardo starter bread. That's what they would have used from a previous batch of dough. Every day that they made bread, leavened bread, fluffed up raised bread, every day that they made such, they would use a starter dough from the previous batch of bread. And the previous batch of dough was made by leaven, was made leavened by adding and mixing water to the flour and letting it sit for at least 18 minutes, but actually they would let it sit for hours or even overnight for the natural yeast, which is already in all bread grains. There's a natural yeast already that God made that's already in all grains. So they would just let it sit in water for half an hour, a few hours overnight, and that yeast, natural yeast, would grow and grow and grow. So that's how they got it started. But then they would take that, a remnant, a small amount of that dough and set it aside, not cook it yet. And then that dough would be added to fresh dough the next day as a starter dough, a yeast to add to the new bread for the next day. And they would keep up recycling day after day like that. They didn't add yeast from a jar. Instead, they would allow the natural yeast to grow and keep using a, 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 a small amount of that batch for the next day to add to the new batch. Now, I said that some of these Greek words, some of these Greek words mean enzymes. What is an enzyme? And I looked it up online. The definition of enzyme is a noun used in biochemistry. It is a substance produced by a living organism, such as yeast, which acts as a catalyst to bring about a specific biochemical reaction. Enzymes are protein molecules that are present in all living things. They speed up and target chemical reactions in many cases, increasing the rate of reaction millions of times. Enzymes are in every living thing, even inside our own body. Therefore, if we take this literal, and if we take this very legalistically, like many people do, we would have to remove from our house even our own bodies because there are enzymes in our bodies. We would have to remove our own body from our house, even our family, even our pets, our animals, even our, our plants that we grow in our house, the flowers, and even all food, all food, all food would have to be removed from our, from our house if we type this very literal and very legalistically. It says you shall not have any enzymes in your house, and yet there are enzymes in every fruit, in every vegetable, in every meat, in every flower, plant, in everything, everything. 
But we cannot take this 100% legalistically. We cannot and should not. Amen. But there is something that we must remove from our house. So what? What must we remove from our house during the days of unleavened bread and for Passover? We have to look at the context to determine that. The context in which the word enzyme is used. And that is the rule for all Bible doctrine, Bible translation, so forth. Because every, every Greek word can be changed into a different meaning if it's in a different context. Okay, so context is always important, extremely important. It cannot be overstated how important context is. And that's why many false doctrines exist is because they take everything out of context. Amen? Amen. So the context, to get a little bit of that, let's look at chapter 12, verse 39. Exodus 12. Verse 39. Exodus 12, verse 39. And they baked the dough. Underline the word dough. They baked the dough. We're talking about bread, which they brought out of Egypt. Unleavened cakes. Cakes of bread. Not like sweet cake but cakes of bread or loaves of bread. It would be better to translate that, Robert, change cakes to loaves, and everybody can mark out where it says cakes and write above it the word loaves, because that is more correct. Unleavened loaves. So it had not been leavened, for the Egyptians threw them out, and they could not remain. Neither did they prepare provision for themselves, talking about food, cooked food, for themselves for the journey. Okay? So the context of what was unleavened is dough, bread. We're not talking about unleavened uh, yogurt, milk, butter, beans, rice, eggs, wine, beer, bananas. We're not talking about unleavened anything other than unleavened dough. And that is consistent throughout chapter 12, chapter 13, and the entire book of Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, throughout the law. Anytime that it's talking about unleavened in relationship to a food, it is always bread. It is always dope. That's important to, to realize and understand and comprehend. Amen. That Bible verse shows that the Israelites were thrown out of Egypt very quickly, so they did not have time to leaven their dough. Therefore, the historical context of unleavened is bread. Now, understanding that, the enzymes that it's talking about then is not talking about enzymes that would make wine bubbly. It's not talking about enzymes that would make eggs fluff up when you scramble them. 
It's not talking about any other type of enzyme. It's talking about enzymes specifically that are in or could be added to bread because bread slash dough is the context in every case throughout Scripture. Now, that, that particular enzyme that they would have used to rise that bread at that time would have been, like I said, a starter dough that today we would call sourdough. Now, this is really amazing because uh, Brother Robert could even testify to you that during this process of me praying about this, studying about this, thinking about this, seeking about this, that during all this, over this past week or two, that without me planning it, I pulled up a video about how to make sourdough. Now, that's something I would never usually normally be interested in. I'm not really normally interested in such things of how to make bread or how to make sourdough. I don't even like sourdough. But I was interested in prepping and knowing how to survive and eat during the Great Tribulation and make things for the Great Tribulation. And that particular video just popped up. Now, a lot of people would say that's coincidence, but it's not coincidence at all because the very fact that I watch something that I'm not even interested in, that don't, I don't even like the taste of, something that we normally never, ever watch, and yet I was drawn to it without knowing what I would be preaching, without knowing that that was the enzyme that they would have used to leaven their bread in the Old Testament. Without having that knowledge, I was drawn to that video and watched that video. That was God teaching me a little bit at a time, planting seeds that would grow and grow. Oh, wow. Praise the Lord. Amen. That would grow and grow and increase in me, in you, and in all of his body. Amen. We need a little bit of good leaven, because leaven doesn't always represent sin, even though I'm going to give you some verses that where it does represent sin. And when we look at the symbolism, like we're here in a few minutes, we'll look at the symbolism of leaven. It most of the time represents sin, but not always. There's even another verse that says that the kingdom of God is like leaven that grows, because leaven increases something else. Leaven is something you add to something that would increase the size of that item that you added it to. Okay? So there is a good leaven symbolism as well. And the kingdom of God is something that starts small within each one of us but grows larger and larger. And I can add to you and you can add to me we can cross-contaminate one another with not bad things, but good things. And it will increase and grow and grow. Amen? But most of the time, the symbolism is sin. Well, as far as symbolism. But the video was confirmation 
of something I didn't even know or understand yet. It was a starter dough for the body of Christ. That video was. Amen. Now, they would have used sardo back in Old Testament times and New Testament times back in ancient times, I should say. But today, we can go to the store, get packets of yeast, and we can also use other things to leaven bread, such as eggs, uh, bacon powder, even vinegar, wine, beer, mayonnaise, yogurt. Any of these things can be used today to make bread rise, to, to leaven a loaf of bread. So even though they would have used sourdough back then, we should not be legalistic to say that it's only, only, only talking about sourdough. We have to remember the principle of the spirit of the law versus the letter of the law. The spiritual principle behind it is God did not want them to have leavened bread, puffed up, fluffed up, aired up, inflated bread during the days of unleavened bread. Regardless of what you added to it, whether it was sourdough or vinegar or baking powder or yeast, the main point, the bottom line conclusion was he was talking about bread and we should not have fluffed up raised up bread during the days of unleavened bread. <clears throat> now, to also understand this, we must also look at that spiritual symbolism like I just mentioned. So now let's go to the New Testament, Matthew chapter 16, which will help us to understand even more about the context because the context is not just one chapter. The context is the entire Bible. And that's another thing that people don't understand and why there is so much false doctrine in this world. People will only look for the context of only one or two verses around the surrounding verse. They won't cross-reference the entire Bible. You must always, always, always cross-reference the entire Bible when you are sincerely examining what you believe and why. So we must come to Matthew 16, verse 11. Matthew 16, verse 11, <clears throat> to get the context within the entire Bible from A to Z, from the Alpha and the Omega Bible. And then Matthew 16, verse 11. How is it that you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread about the seven loaves and stuff like that within a symbolism here jesus in the previous verses was using a parable a symbolism and he was speaking about he used the word bread but he wasn't really speaking about bread that's why he says how is it that you do not understand i did not speak to you concerning bread but rather beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So in the previous verses, that's what he really meant when he spoke about leavening. So here we get the symbolism that leavened bread, bread that has risen, is a symbol of Pharisees and Sadducees, their hypocrisy, their sins, their legalism, their pride, their stubbornness, 
their false doctrines, their sins, all of that is represented by the leavened bread. Again, the uh, the word bread is used rather than bananas or eggs. So that tells us again, as we as we look throughout many verses in the Bible, we're talking about leavening and unleavening, and the symbolism thereof is always in the context of bread. Let's go over to. Uh, John chapter 6. Now, there's many other verses that are in the notes, and you can see if you're a member of our online social media group, as we turn to John chapter 6, you can see that there are many other Bible verses that I list in the brand new article that I've already written about this. But we don't have to go every one of these verses one by one here in the sermon. But you can and should do that later, okay, in your more in-depth study. In John 6, verse 35, is everybody on page? John 6, verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, but he who commits to me will never thirst. Amen. Of course, he wasn't talking about literal, literal food, literal drink, literal starvation or any such thing but rather spiritual spiritual hunger spiritual thirst spiritual bread jesus called himself the bread of life now if we think about that and compare it with the leaven and unleavening bread in the context of passover and he was our passover then we think of his body as a bread without leavening, without sin. Since leavening most of the time represents sin. His body is unleavened bread. He said when he took the bread on that night of Passover, he said, this is my body. He wasn't being literal, but he was being spiritually symbolic. This is my body. Eat, take. Same of the wine, this is my blood. Eat, drink this. So if we receive him into ourselves, if we accept the blood of Jesus as the atonement for our sins and his crucifixion as the atonement for our sins, and then we walk in that, as Romans 6 tells us, that we are baptized into Christ Jesus. And if we are baptized into him, we no longer sin. We do not sin if we are true followers of Christ Jesus, if we have truly received him into ourselves, if we have truly accepted his body and blood as atonement for our sins, that 
does not allow us to have what I call hyper-grace. What I call hyper-grace is your traditional doctrine that because he died for our sins, we don't have to obey him. We can do anything and enter the kingdom because we say one prayer, one so-called prayer of salvation, which you will never, ever find in Scripture. You will never, ever find in Scripture any apostle, any prophet, any disciple, or even Jesus, anyone in the Bible saying, repeat these words after me, and you will be saved. Just repeat my words, what I tell you to say, and then you're instantly in the snap of a finger, saved, and you no longer have to keep the holy days, the seventh day, the commandments. You don't have to follow after me. You don't have to sacrifice any, any part of your life. You don't have to surrender or submit to me. All you got to do is say magical words, and poof, you're saved for all eternity. You will not find such a ridiculous theology in the Holy Scriptures. You will not find that. But rather, you will find where the man wanted to follow Jesus, and Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their dead. Because the man said, I want to follow you, but I've got more important things to do first. I've got to bury my dad first. And he thought that was so important. I got to take care of my family. I got to take care of this dead flesh. It's part of my responsibility to my dad, to my family, to my mom, to my brothers, to my uncles, to society. I got to bury my dad. I have to be responsible. That's everybody's excuses. Everybody's excuse is I got to pay my rent. I got to work my job. I got to be responsible. I, I, I have to do this. I got to do that. I got to do that. But I can't put God first. No way. That's everybody's thinking in Babylon. I got to work on Saturday because I got to pay my rent. Hey, I don't care what the Bible says. To follow Jesus and to truly accept him as your Lord, as your master, as your God, is to put him first. And if you do not put him first, he is not your God. People don't understand what it means to have a God, to have a Lord. He is master. He is king. If the king says jump, you say, how high? But instead, no, I got to do this first. He's not your God if you put anything before him. Amen? He is not your Lord and Savior if you put money, houses, career, mom, dad, husband, wife, or anything or anyone before him, then he is not your God. To follow him requires full, 100% surrender of seeking and following him with all of your passion, all of your mind, all of your soul, all of your flesh, all of your heart, all of your being, not 99.9, but 100%. And that's why a lot of people refuse to get saved because they know a lot of people realize that it is a drastic change. But most of Babylon, false Christians do not understand it. 
They think, come as you are and stay as you are, is what most Christians, so-called Christians, believe. But if you come to him, you must die. If you come to Christ Jesus, you must be crucified with him, Romans 6. You must be crucified with him and die to yourself and become a new creation, a new person, a new mind, a new eyesight, a new way of thinking, including your doctrines. Amen. Jesus is the bread of life without sin. And we, we must receive him and receive him into ourselves. And his bread, which is unleavened, will change us even without the bad yeast. Because even bread that is unleavened still has active yeast in it. You cannot escape the natural enzymes. And it will influence you. The kingdom of God is a good leaven that will increase the spirit of God, the bread of God. You take his bread into you, and you become an unleavened dough. Amen? You could even take unleavened bread and, try and add it to unleavened bread and still increase it. You cannot escape enzymes. You can't escape the natural yeast that is even on our fingerprints. It's everywhere. You cannot escape it. If it's good leavening, but the bad leavening, yes, you can escape. Nothing is impossible. Everybody thinks nothing is impossible with God, but they always forget the other verse that says nothing, nothing shall be impossible to you. They forget that Bible verse, don't they? Because they want you to stay weak, immature. They want you to stay as just a babe in Christ and not become a full-grown, mature person in Christ. So they won't teach you Eververse. Babylon won't. They will not teach you Eververse. Amen. But nothing shall be impossible to you. And you can escape the bad leaven, and you can escape sin because one John tells us that if we are born again, we will not sin. Now, of course, it's a process. It is a process. It is a lifelong process. It is a struggle. It is not entirely always easy because we have years of programming to unlearn. And we have years of immaturity to overcome. Amen. It's a struggle. It's a process. But it's not impossible. If you press in, if you seek the Lord of all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul, he will help you. He is faithful. And he is faithful to finish the work that he started in us. It is possible to make it in. It is possible to become without sin and be the unleavened body of Christ, without wrinkle, without blemish. Amen. It is possible because the Bible says that he is coming back for a bride without wrinkle, without blemish, without something else. It was three, without wrinkle, without blemish, without 
Not spot. Thank you, wife. Oh, thank God that I have a wife to fill in my missing words. Without spot, without wrinkle, without blemish. Amen. So those wrinkles, those spots, those blemishes represent sin. Even as in the old covenant, they had to sacrifice a lamb without blemish, without spot. Amen. Those represent sins. We can get rid of sin. It's not impossible. Do not ever say that it's impossible to totally stop sinning. It's a struggle. It would take time, but nothing is impossible. Amen. Let's go over to 1 Corinthians 5. Ooh, baby, baby, baby. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Moving on over, moving on over. Page 180. Thank you, Brother Robert. One Corinthians five, verse six. God willing, we'll read verse six through verse eight. One Corinthians five, verse six. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the entire mass of dough? Clean out the old leaven that you may be a new mass of dough, just as you are, in fact, unleavened. Oh, 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 this is so beautiful. Yeah, this is so beautiful. It confirms what I just said about unleavened, that you need to become a unleavened dough. I didn't even plan it that way. God's word testifies of his own word. Amen. For Christ, our Passover, also has been sanctified. Now, a lot of Babylon would say, because the Bible says Christ is our Passover, we don't have to keep Passover. That's stupid to say that. That's a very stupid thing to say because uh, what did Christ do on his last night that before the crucifixion, he said, do this. Would he say do it if he didn't want us to do it? It was his last night alive. And he said, do this. And he didn't want us to do it. That doesn't make any sense. It's not logical. Babylon wants you to be dumb and to stay dumb. Even the Apostle Paul, decades later, decades later in 1 Corinthians 11, said, do this until he comes. Not until the past that's already over with, but until he comes. We keep on and keep on. And even after he comes, we will continue to do Passover until we get into the new heavens, the new earth when there would no longer be time, there would no longer be months and seasons and years and night and day, then there won't be any holy days because every day will be the same. But until we get in the new heavens, new earth, we will always have Passover in the millennium and in the hundred years after that as well. Absolutely. I promise you in Jesus' name. And so it says here in verse 8, 
Paul says, therefore, let us celebrate the feast. What? 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 The apostle Paul said, let us keep the holy days, let us keep the feast, let us keep Passover in the days of unleavened bread. What? How come the Baptist church didn't tell me that? Huh? Huh? How come the Pentecostals didn't tell me that? Huh? Because they don't, even those pastors don't even know the Bible. And when they come and read this, they ain't going to read it out loud. They don't want you to know the scriptures. They want you to stay blind and dumb. Amen. Paul said, keep the holy days. Decades. This was written decades after Jesus was crucified. Let's celebrate the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, meaning the leavening represents sin, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Amen. He's not saying don't keep the holy day, but keep it and keep it in holiness. Keep it without sin. You can stop sinning. Amen. You can stop sinning. But you also must define sin. The Bible defines it for you. And it says sin is the transgression of the law. Sin is the transgression of the law. That means sin is breaking God's law. And therefore, to determine whether something is sin or not, you've got to search the scriptures and see if it is against God's law. And a lot of the things that people says is sin is not sin. Because a lot of Babylon is extremely legalistic, extremely legalistic, even those that claim there is no law. And yet they teach you tons of law, the laws that they choose to enforce upon you. They don't want you to keep the seventh day and the holy days, but they say you must keep Christmas. You must keep Easter. You must go to church on Sunday. You must believe in a three-headed God. You must do this and you must do that. So they actually believe in lots of laws, but their own laws, even as the Bible says that they would teach the doctrines of men as the commandments of God. Amen. It's not that they really don't believe in law, but they believe in their own man-made laws. Amen. So you've got to be careful about what is sin and what's not sin, because we have been told that sinful things are not sin, and things that are not sin are sin. We have been taught so many wrongful things in Babylon. You have to start over from scratch, and and bake a new dough. You've got to come out with the truth. Amen. Now let's go over to Galatians. Galatians chapter 5, verse 9. Galatians 5. Galatians 5, verse 9. Page 204. God is so good. Amy. Amen. Praise the Lord. Galatians 5 verse 9. A little leaven leavens the entire mass of bread. Amen. Over and over and over and over, 
the context of leaven and unleavened, when it's talking about food, or even in the symbolism, it's still talking about bread. Amen. Bread, 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 dough, dough, dough. That's very important to remember when we're trying to figure out what's allowed and what's not allowed. From all of these verses, we see uh, that it is bread that it's talking about in what's allowed and not what's allowed is the context. It never is talking about eggs alone or soup. I'm not talking about soup that has yeast in it. That's never the context in any of the Bible verses. It's never talking about cheese that has enzymes in it or yogurt or eggs that are fluffed up. That's not the context ever in the Bible. It's always bread or grains uh, when speaking about food. I'm confident that the Asian Israelites knew how to obtain milk and yogurt and cheese all of which contained fermenting enzymes. Yet the Bible never refers to unleavened milk, unleavened yogurt, unleavened cheese, unleavened bread, I mean unleavened wine, unleavened beer, or even unleavened eggs. But unleavened eggs is possible. There is such a thing. Because when you boil an egg, Science shows, and I did look this up and did confirm it, that when you boil an egg, it is only the, the heat that solidifies the egg. There is no reaction of the enzymes of puffing up with air and gases. There is no gases released. It's just a solidification of the egg. Therefore, it is not a leavening effect when you boil an egg. So that's an unleavened egg. But if you scramble the egg, there is a puffing up. There are gases that do release that results in the egg fluffing up. So can we have scrambled eggs or not? Well, last week, I said we can't have scrambled eggs. This week, I say, yes, we can because I'm growing in God's truth. I'm seeking, I'm re-examining my, my own teachings. I do this constantly. I do this every day that I re-examine my teachings. But an egg that is fluffed up, even though it is leavened, it's not bread. And it's not been added to something else to make something else puff up. It's not a bread, and it's not being added to bread if we're just scrambling an egg. Therefore, it does not meet the context of leavening in the requirements of what's removed, because it's always bread when it's talking about the leaven and the unleavened, bread or sin or an influence upon another thing. What about rice and beans? During the Passover and the days of unleavened bread, many people abstained from rice and beans because it seems to them as it might be fluffed up, but it's really not fluffed up, not with air and gases, that is. 
is really only swelled up with water. The water has entered into it, which has swelled the size of the rice and the beans. Again, this is not bread. It's not gases released. It's not even leavening, much less bread. And but, it, but the primary thing we must look at is, are we talking about bread or not? And it's only the leavened bread that is removed from the house in every Bible verse. The Bible never refers to unleavened rice or unleavened beans. What about oatmeal? Many people abstain from oatmeal. Some of the Jews do that as well. But I believe it's also the same as the rice and the beans, that it is simply only swelled up with water, not fluffed up with gases. Also, it's not being eaten as a bread, unless you're talking about oak bread made from oatmeal. But if you're just eating a bowl of oatmeal, then we're not talking about a bread. And it's not even uh, puffed up with air. It's only swelled with water. What about wine, beer, and other alcohol? Let's turn to Leviticus 23, because this is important. Whether you plan on drinking or not, it's important. You'll find out why here in a second. Leviticus 23. Leviticus 23, verse 13. Twenty-three, verse thirteen, and its meat offering, two tenth portions of fine flour mingled with oil. It is a sacrifice to Jesus, a smell of sweet aroma to Jesus, and its drink offering, the fourth part of a hen, a measure of wine. Now, what's interesting about this is that the wine was commanded as part of the offering made to God during the days of unleavened bread. If you read the whole context, uh, it's counting down to Pentecost, but the counting down to Pentecost begins during the days of unleavened bread. So it is talking about during the Feast of Unleavened Bread that this offering was made. And it included wine. Now, wine, of course, has enzymes, which has gases, yeast, and bubbles, and you can't escape it. There is wine, I mean, there is yeast and enzymes in wine, no matter what, even in grape juice. And there's enzymes in all things. But the wine especially has a large content of air bubbles. And yet, it's commanded in the Old Covenant, because we don't do the animal sacrifices anymore, of course, and we don't do the, the fire offerings and the flower offerings and the wine offerings and all of that anymore. We only drink the sip of wine for Passover 
and a bite of unleavened bread on Passover. And then we continue with eating the unleavened bread for all seven days after that because Jesus did it and the apostles did it and Jesus said to do it and Paul said to do it. So that's clear in Scripture that those things are not done away with, just the animal sacrifices and the other physical sacrifices of fire and so forth. Nevertheless, though at that time in the Old Covenant, there was wine, fermented wine, real alcohol, with gas bubbles and all, as part of the, as part of the unleavened bread offering. So that tells us right there that it's not all enzymes that we must remove from our house, not all enzymes, not all yeast, not everything that has air bubbles in it is to be removed from the house, but rather it's really only the bread items, cereal items, the bread, the, gra- the bread grains, the cereal grains, even though oatmeal, some people call it a cereal grain. I don't personally, but a lot of people call oatmeal a cereal grain. But with the oatmeal, again, it's not gases and it's not a bread. So when I say cereal grains, I mean barley, wheat, things like that that you would use for a loaf of bread normally. So that type of cereal grain and the bread grains that actually fluff up with air, those are what have to be removed, not the wine, not the beer, not the eggs. Now, if you add eggs to your bread, that will puff up the bread. So you can't add eggs to your bread during the day's unleavened bread because that is a leavening for that bread. But if you have the eggs by themselves, then it's not a leavening of bread, and it's the leavening of bread that is forbidden. Now let's go over to 1 Corinthians 11, and this might be the final verse. So let's go over to 1 Corinthians 11. Starting in verse 23. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23. And if I repeat myself something that you've already heard a million times, just kind of excuse me because we do have new listeners that may have never heard this before. So I have to make sure I teach everyone both young and old. Amen. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, down through verse 26. Verse 23 says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When it uses that word remembrance, that tells you right off that he wanted us to keep doing it after he had gone back to heaven as a remembrance of him. Amen? 
common sense here. He doesn't say, I'm going to do this tonight, and this is the last time anybody on earth has to do this. That's crazy. Okay? The traditional doctrines are insane. He did not do it as an example for us and then take it away 12 hours later. That's crazy. But do this in remembrance of me. In verse 25, in the same way he took the cup after the supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. To remember him. Amen. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you, pro- you proclaim the Lord's death until until Paul died? No. Until Christ died? No. But until he comes. He ain't back yet, so we have to keep doing this. Amen? Now, a lot of people say, well, it says do this often, so I'm going to do this every Saturday or every Sunday or every month, whatever. And that's not what it says. Read it again. It does not say do this often. Be very careful with your words. Amen? It does not say do this often. It says as often as you do this. Well, I could say in my example that I take Passover communion as often as once every year on Passover. And that's a correct statement. As often as I drink Passover wine and, and, and do the Passover communion is as often as once per year, every Passover. That's how often I do it, but that's not often. So that's two different meanings. And it does not say do this often. Find a Bible verse where they did it every week. You cannot find it. And yet they will pull out of their hat a verse that they would take out of context, that they would twist, that they would distort on purpose, knowing that they're distorting it. Amen. They would draw out of their hat where they was breaking bread daily. And yet that term simply meant that they were eating together. Had nothing to do with communion. Nothing at all. Nothing to do with communion. And yet, well, they would distort those words, they would distort those meanings like crazy because they have no fear of God. Amen. There is no Bible verse that says that anyone took communion, that they took the wine of the blood of Christ, that they took the body, the bread of the body of Christ, no example at all where they took it on a different day other than Passover. Amen. It's the only day that we have in the entire Bible where you could find that. And yet people will say, Well, I can take Passover every week or once a month, and it's still very important and special and holy to me. I've had people say that. And I just, my head just twirls when they say that because that's ridiculous. That's a ridiculous statement. How can they say that they can 
take the Passover communion on a day that's not Passover and still treat it with all reverence, with all holiness, in the same way that we would with doing the communion on the very same date that Jesus commanded it in remembrance of his death, of his blood, of his body. It is a commemoration of his Passover sacrifice. Fourth of July is only on the fourth of July. Thanksgiving is only on Thanksgiving. You can't take it out of context and take a Passover communion on a day that's not Passover. It doesn't make sense. And there is no such instruction for that. Amen. We are to examine ourselves. 1 Corinthians 11 teaches us, if you read all of this chapter, it it teaches us that we are to carefully examine ourselves before we take that communion. And if you only take the communion only on Passover, then you have that whole year to examine yourself. And you know that Passover is getting closer and closer and closer. And in the final month, you become more serious, more devout. You're examining yourself deeper and deeper about what you believe and why, what's allowed, what's not allowed, so forth, what your sins are and what's, what's the hidden leavening down in your mind, down in your heart. What is your hidden leavening in your soul? You're examining yourself deeply and sincerely and carefully. It takes time to do that. To take it every week or every month, you don't have the same level of sincerity or examination. And really, if you take it often, then you are trading underfoot the holiness of his body and his blood. His body... And his blood is not Kool-Aid and cookies. This is not a game. This is not child's play. This is serious stuff. The body and blood of Jesus Christ should be treated with reverence and not treated as your everyday Kool-Aid. It is not an everyday drink. We are to treat the symbolism of holy communion with holiness and reverence. Amen. Another point that I need to make to help prove what is allowed and what's not allowed is that the name of this festival is the Fiesta of Unleavened Bread. And that should tell us something right there about what is allowed and what's not allowed. What, what kind of leavening or leavened items are we to remove from our houses? It's called the fiesta of unleavened bread. Bread is part of the name. It is all about the bread and the symbolism of it. It is not called the fiesta of unleavened everything. It's not called a fiesta of unleavened everything, but rather the fiesta of unleavened bread. Even the name tells you what it's talking about. 
It's not unleavened yogurt. It's not unleavened eggs, but rather unleavened bread. And leavened bread. Leavened and unleavened bread is the issue. And what are we eating as a replacement for what is removed from the house from those seven days? What are we eating in replacement? Because we are. We are eating something in replacement. Not only are we instructed to remove the leavening from our house, but we are also instructed, commanded through the Holy Scriptures, to eat the unleavened bread for every day of those seven days, beginning with the Passover communion. So if we're eating the unleavened bread, then that is the replacement for what we had removed. So if you're eating bread, then what was removed is also bread. The unleavened bread replaces leavened bread. The flat bread replaces puffed up raised bread. So both the name and what we're eating as a replacement both reveal the context of what it's really talking about. So yes, the doctrine, official doctrine of this administration has changed to where you can now have scrambled eggs and you can have mayonnaise, even though mayonnaise is eggs that are puffed up, it's not being added to bread and it's not a bread. However, I do need to warn about a couple of things, of cautions. First of all, as I said, all grain all flour, everything on earth has natural enzymes and natural yeast on, on everything. We cannot escape it. Therefore, when you are making your unleavened bread, if you add water to that dough and you let it sit and you go to the bathroom or you go answer the door or you go answer the phone and you let it sit for 18 minutes or more, the natural yeast that is already in there that you did not add, but is already in there, will grow in only a matter of only 18 minutes. It won't be much, but it will grow. But once you add that bread into your frying skillet, and a lot of people bake it, but I prefer to put it on top of the stove and skillet and bake it on top. And that way, the heat is much quicker and much hotter and much faster, which is very important. And I'll tell you why it's important. To have high heat very quick. Because the yeast that's in that bread that did grow over that 18 minutes will be killed out by the high heat, especially if you fry it fast and hot and strong. It will kill out that yeast, that leavening, to where your bread will be more flat and less puffed up. But the longer you allow that dough to sit mixed with water, the more puffed up it's going to be, no matter if you don't add anything to it other than water. And if you fry it on low heat, it's going to take longer for the yeast to be killed, which will allow it to fluff up to some extent if you're not killing the yeast fast enough. So if you bake it in the oven, really all you're doing is leavening that bread. 
it will be more fluffed up if you bake it, guarantee you. For a flatter bread, you want to cue out the yeast as quickly as possible with high heat, fry it on top of the stove. One more thing. Concerning popcorn. Corn is a bread grain. When we think of popcorn, it's not been grinded down yet, but it is still a bread grain. Therefore, if you have popcorn that's already popped, that bread grain has been fluffed up with air. Popcorn, you cannot deny it, is a fluffed up product. And it is a bread grain, and I did double check on that, and it is a bread grain. The corn was at one time a living thing, and therefore the kernels of corn contain enzymes, as all living things do. Inside each kernel of popcorn is a tiny droplet of water surrounded by a hard shell called a hole. As the popcorn is heated, the water turns into steam, which is gases which is leavening, which builds pressure inside the kernel until it pops. Because corn is an ingredient in many bread-type products, such as taco shells and burrito shells, and because the popcorn results in a fluffed-up food product, and because the air in it is a gas, it is a leavened bread grain. And therefore, I believe that popcorn, if it has been popped, is a leavened bread product that we should remove from our house. If it's not popped, it's okay to keep in your house because it's not leavened. Okay, well, I praise Jesus Christ for this increased understanding, for this correction in doctrine, and I appreciate everybody's patience with my long-winded sermon and appreciate your patience with me growing in God's Word. I do encourage everybody to meet us back here, here on Tuesday, April the 14th, for the last day of unloving bread. Woohoo! And because after that, after sunset of that evening, I can have my sandwiches again and my snack cakes, which I miss so much. Amen. But that morning service will be at a special time of day at 7 o'clock in the morning Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Eastern Time. And I do encourage everybody to set your alarms and to be on time because it's a high holy day. It's a commanded Sabbath. It's a commanded day of rest, and not only a commanded day of rest, but a commanded assembly. The Bible says that we are commanded to assemble together on these days. It's not a choice. Your only choice is, are you going to obey God or reject God? But if you're going to obey God and follow him, then we are commanded to assemble together. And that's what we are doing over the Internet and over the telephone to fulfill that commandment, but also because we love the Lord and want to hear his word, want to hear his instructions, we want to grow in the truth, 
we want to grow in his knowledge and his spirit and in his will. Amen. So it's not only by commandment, but because we voluntarily, willingly, with free will, choose to serve the Lord. Amen. Amen. So I do encourage everybody to make God a priority and not make excuses that you can't sleep or it's too early in the morning because I, I could use those excuses too. But we can't make excuses. We either put him first or we don't. He is either our God or he's not. Amen. So choose you this day whom you will serve. Yourself, your own will, and your own timeline, and your own job and money and your wife, or are you going to serve the Lord? Make up your mind. Amen. Let's try to get out a newsletter, hopefully tomorrow. And um, there's a, not only this new article that I posted on MeWe today that I turned into a sermon, but there's a couple more new articles coming up about other topics. And both of those articles are going to be a challenge for everyone, a real challenge. Because we do not want to blindly follow what we have already been taught by false ministers that do not know nor understand the Bible. We need to ask the tough questions. What is the truth? Really, 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 what is the truth? What does the Bible really teach? And the deeper we get, the more explosive. The more explosive. Because we have been lied to by the wolves in sheep's clothing. Please pray for yourself that you continue to grow in the truth and that God would reveal to you and help you to embrace and understand the real truth because these things will be challenges and they should be. If we are mature and want to be even more mature, then we should embrace challenges. We should embrace the challenge of proving all things. What is the acceptable will of God? Thank you for listening and may God really help us all grow in his spirit and his will. Amen. And the congregation said, Amen. Amen. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.